Chapter 14 of Volume 1 of The Mysterious Island. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Thomas Kuz Kosmarski. The Mysterious Island by Jules Verne. Translated by William Henry Giles Kingston. Volume number 1, Chapter number 14. The next day, the 16th of April, and Easter Sunday, the settlers issued from the chimneys at daybreak, and proceeded to wash their linen. The engineer intended to manufacture soap as soon as he could procure the necessary materials, soda, or potash, fat, or oil. The important question of renewing their wardrobe would be treated of in the proper time and place. At any rate, their clothes would last at least six months longer, for they were strong and could resist the wear of manual labor. But all would depend on the situation of the island with regard to inhabited land. This would be settled today, if the weather permitted. The sun, rising above a clear horizon, announced a magnificent day, one of those beautiful autumn days which are like the last farewells of the warm season. It was now necessary to complete the observations of the evening before, by measuring the height of the cliff, above the level of the sea. Shall you not need an instrument similar to the one which you used yesterday? said Herbert to the engineer. No, my boy, replied the latter. We are going to proceed differently, but in as precise a way. Herbert, wishing to learn everything he could, followed the engineer to the beach. Pencroft, Neb and the reporter remained behind and occupied themselves in different ways. Cyrus Harding had provided himself with a straight stick, twelve feet long, which he had measured as exactly as possible by comparing it with his own height, which he knew to a hair. Herbert carried a plumb line, which Harding had given him, that is to say, a simple stone fastened to the end of a flexible fiber. Having reached a spot about twenty feet from the edge of the beach, and nearly five hundred feet from the cliff, which rose perpendicularly, Harding thrust the pole two feet into the sand, and wedging it up carefully, he managed, by means of the plumb line, to erect it perpendicularly with the plane of the horizon. That done, he retired the necessary distance, when, lying on the sand, his eye glanced at the same time at the top of the pole and the crest of the cliff. He carefully marked the place with a little stick. Then addressing Herbert, "'Do you know the first principles of geometry?' he asked. Uh, "'Slightly, Captain,' replied Herbert, who did not wish to put himself forward. You remember what are the properties of two similar triangles? Yes, replied Herbert. 
the homologous signs are proportional. Oh, my boy, I have just constructed two similar right-angled triangles. The first, the smallest, has for its sides the perpendicular pole. The distance which separates the little stick from the foot of the pole and my visual ray for hypotenuse. The second has for its sides the perpendicular cliff, the height of which we wish to measure, the distance which separates the little stick from the bottom of the cliff, and my visual ray also forms its hypotenuse, which proves to be prolongation of that of the first triangle. Oh, Captain, I understand, cried Herbert. As the distance from the stick to the pole is to the distance from the stick to the base of the cliff, so is the height of the pole to the height of the cliff. Just so, Herbert, replied the engineer, and when we have measured the first two distances, knowing the height of the pole, we shall only have a sum in proportion to do, which will give us the height of the cliff, and will save us the trouble of measuring it directly. The two horizontal distances were found out by means of the pole, whose length above the sand was exactly ten feet. The first distance was fifteen feet between the stick and the place where the pole was thrust into the sand. The second distance between the stick and the bottom of the cliff was five hundred feet. The measurements finished, Cyrus Harding and the lad returned to the chimneys. The engineer then took a flat stone, which he had brought back from one of his previous excursions, a sort of slate, on which it was easy to trace figures with a sharp shell. He then proved the following proportions, 15 by 500 by 10 by X. 500 by 10 equals 5,000. 5,000 divided by 15 equals 333.3, from which it was proved that the granite cliff measured 333 feet in height. Cyrus Harding then took the instrument which he had made the evening before, the space between its two legs giving the angular distance between the star Alpha and the horizon. He measured very exactly the opening of this angle on a circumference, which he divided into 360 equal parts. Now, this angle, by adding to it the 27 degrees which separated Alpha from the Antarctic Pole, and by reducing to the level of the sea the height of the cliff on which the observation had been made, was found to be 53 degrees. These 53 degrees, being subtracted from 90 degrees, the distance from the pole to the equator, there remained 37 degrees. Cyrus Harding concluded, therefore, that Lincoln Island was situated on the 37th degree of the southern latitude, or, taking into consideration, through the imperfection of the performance, an error of five degrees, that it must be situated between the 35th and the 40th parallel. There was only the longitude to be obtained, 
and the, the position of the island would be determined the engineer hoped to attempt this the same day at twelve o'clock at which moment the sun would pass the meridian it was decided that sunday should be spent in a walk or rather an exploring expedition so that side of the island between the north of the lake and shark gulf and if there was time they would push their discoveries to the northern side of cape south mandible they would breakfast on the downs and not return till evening at half past eight the little band was following the edge of the channel on the other side on safety islet numerous birds were gravely strutting they were divers easily recognized by their cry which much resembles the braying of a donkey pencroft only considered them in an eatable point of view and learnt with some satisfaction that their flesh though blackish is not bad food great amphibious creatures could also be seen crawling on the sand seals doubtless who had appeared to have chosen the islet for a place of refuge it was impossible to think of those animals in an alimentary point of view for their oily flesh is detestable however cyrus harding observed them attentively and without making known his idea he announced to his companions that very soon they would pay a visit to the islet the beach was strewn with innumerable shells some of which would have rejoiced the heart of a conchologist there were among others the phasianella the terebratual etc but what would be of more use was the discovery by neb at low tide of a large oyster bed among the rocks nearly five miles from the chimneys neb will not have lost his day cried pencroft looking at the spacious oyster bed it is really a fortunate discovery said the reporter and as it is said that each oyster produces yearly from fifty to sixty thousand eggs we shall have an inexhaustible supply there only i believe that the oyster is not very nourishing said herbert no replied harding the oyster contains very little nitrogen and if a man lived exclusively on them he would have to eat not less than fifteen to sixteen dozen a day capital replied pencroft we might swallow dozens and dozens without exhausting the bed shall we take some for breakfast and without waiting for a reply to this proposal knowing that it would be approved of the sailor and neb detached a quantity of the mollusks they put them in a sort of net of hibiscus fiber which neb had manufactured and which already contained food 
they then continued to climb the coast between the downs and the sea from time to time harding consulted his watch so as to be prepared in time for the solar observation which had to be made exactly at midday all that part of the island was very barren as far as the point which closed union bay and which had received the name of cape south mandible nothing could be seen there but sand and shells mingled with debris of lava a few seabirds frequented this desolate coast gulls great albatrosses as well as wild duck for which pencroft had a great fancy he tried to knock some over with an arrow but without result for they seldom perched and he could not hit them on the wing this led the sailor to repeat to the engineer you say captain so long as we have not one or two fowling pieces we shall never get anything doubtless pencroft replied the porter but it depends on you procure us some iron for the barrels steel for the hammers saltpetre coal and sulphur for powder mercury and nitric acid for the fulminate and lead for the shot and the captain will make us first-rate guns oh replied the engineer we might no doubt find all these substances on the island but a gun is a delicate instrument and needs very particular tools however we shall see later why cried pencroft were we obliged to throw overboard all the weapons we had with us in the car all our implements even our pocket knives but if we had not thrown them away pencroft the balloon would have thrown us to the bottom of the sea said herbert what you say is true my boy replied the sailor then passing to another idea think said he how astounded jonathan forster and his companions must have been when next morning they found the place empty and the machine flown away i am utterly indifferent about knowing what they may have thought said the reporter it was all my idea that said pencroft with a satisfied air a splendid idea pencroft replied gideon spilett laughing and which has placed us where we are i would rather be here than in the hands of the southerners cried the sailor especially since the captain has been kind enough to come and join us again so would i truly replied the reporter besides what do we want nothing if that is not everything replied pencroft laughing and shrugging his shoulders but some day or other we shall find means of going away sooner perhaps than you imagine my friends remarked the engineer if lincoln island is but a medium distance from an inhabited island or from a continent we shall know in an hour i have not a map of the pacific but my memory has preserved a very clear recollection of its southern part the latitude which i obtained yesterday placed new zealand to the west of lincoln island and the coast of chile to the east 
but between these two countries there is a distance of at least six thousand miles it has therefore to be determined what point in this great space the island occupies and this the longitude will give us presently with a sufficient approximation i hope is not the archipelago of the Pomputus, the nearest point to us in latitude? asked Herbert. Yes, replied the engineer, but the distance which separates us from it is more than twelve hundred miles. And that way? asked Neb, who followed the conversation with extreme interest, pointing to the south. That way? Nothing, replied Pencroft. Nothing indeed added the engineer well cyrus asked the reporter if lincoln island is not more than two or three thousand miles from new zealand or chile well replied the engineer instead of building a house we will build a boat and master pencroft shall be put in command well then cried the sailor i am quite ready to be captain as soon as you can make a craft that's able to keep at sea we shall do it if it is necessary replied cyrus harding but while these men who really hesitated at nothing were talking the hour approached at which the observation was to be made what cyrus harding was to do to ascertain the passage of the sun at the meridian of the island without an instrument of any sort herbert could not guess the observers were then about six miles from the chimneys not far from part of the downs in which the engineer had been found after his enigmatical preservation they halted at this place and prepared for breakfast for it was half past eleven herbert went for some fresh water from a stream which ran near and brought it back in a jug which neb had provided during these preparations harding arranged everything for his astronomical observation he chose a clear place on the shore which the ebbing tide had left perfectly level this bed of fine sand was as smooth as ice not a grain out of place it was of little importance whether it was horizontal or not and it did not matter much whether the stick six feet high which was planted there rose perpendicularly on the contrary the engineer inclined it towards the south that is to say in the direction of the coast opposite to the sun for it must not be forgotten that the settlers in lincoln island as the island was situated in the southern hemisphere saw the radiant planet describe its diurnal arc above the northern and not above the southern horizon herbert now understood how the engineer was going to proceed to ascertain the culmination of the sun that is to say its passing in the meridian of the island or in other words determine due south it was by means of the shadow cast on the sand by the stick a way which 
for want of an instrument would give him a suitable approach to the result which he wished to obtain in fact the moment when this shadow would reach its minimum of length would be exactly twelve o'clock and it would be enough to watch the extremity of the shadow so as to ascertain the instant when after having successfully diminished it began to lengthen by inclining his stick to the side opposite to the sun cyrus harding made the shadow longer and consequently its modifications would be more easily ascertained in fact the longer the needle of a dial is the more easily can the movement of its point be followed the shadow of the stick was nothing but the needle of a dial the moment had come and cyrus harding knelt on the sand and with little wooden pegs which he stuck into the sand he began to mark the successive diminutions of the stick's shadow his companions bending over him watched the operation with extreme interest the reporter held his chronometer in his hand ready to tell the hour which it marked when the shadow would be at its shortest moreover as cyrus harding was working on the sixteenth of april the day on which the true and the average time are identical the hour given by gideon smollett would be the true hour then at washington which would simplify the calculation meanwhile as the sun slowly advanced the shadow slowly diminished and when it appeared to cyrus harding that it was beginning to increase he asked what o'clock is it one minute past five replied gideon spilett directly they had now only to calculate the operation nothing could be easier it could be seen that there existed in round numbers a difference of five hours between the meridian of washington and that of lincoln island that is to say it was midday in lincoln island when it was already five o'clock in the evening in washington now the sun in its apparent movement round the earth traverses one degree in four minutes or fifteen degrees an hour fifteen multiplied by five hours gives seventy-five degrees then since washington is seventy seven degrees three minutes eleven seconds as much as to say seventy seven degrees counted from the meridian of greenwich which the americans take for their starting point for longitudes concurrently with the english it followed that the island must be situated seventy seven and seventy-five degrees west of the meridian of greenwich that is to say on the hundred and fifty-second degree of west longitude cyrus harding announced this result to his companions and taking into consideration errors of observation as he had done for the latitude he believed he could positively affirm that the position of lincoln island was between the thirty-fifth and the thirty-seventh parallel and between the hundred and fiftieth and the hundred and fifty-fifth meridian to the west of the meridian of greenwich 
the possible fault which he attributed to errors in the observation was it may be seen of five degrees on both sides which at sixty miles to a degree would give an error of three hundred miles in latitude and longitude for the exact position but this error would not influence the determination which it was necessary to take it was very evident that lincoln island was at such a distance from every country or island that it would be too hazardous to attempt to reach one in a frail boat in fact this calculation placed it at least twelve hundred miles from tahiti and the islands of the archipelago of the palmotus more than eighteen hundred miles from new zealand and more than four thousand five hundred miles from the american coast and when cyrus harding consulted his memory he could not remember in any way that such an island occupied in that part of the pacific the situation assigned to lincoln island End of chapter fourteen Recording by John Thomas Cruz Kuzmarski www.validateyourlife.com